make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host, Ina. Keeping it non-controversial. Welcome to Panel 21 on um, Modi land, India. Wow, it's getting uh, very Trumpy there lately. Today I'm joined by Ravi, my guest from my previous episode on the Hindu far right and professor of marketing, Gaurav Sabnes from New York. Gaurav has just returned from a six-week stay in India, so I'm sure all the fashiness is fresh in his mind still. As always, dear listeners, if you enjoy the show, please, please consider supporting via Patreon or PayPal. Without you, shows like this can't survive. Now, let's dive right in. What the fuck is going on in India? So what has been happening in India for the last uh, five and a half years since uh, the Modi government came into power is uh, a lot of stuff that almost makes Trump seem mild in comparison, which is that the government has just been continuously moving more and more to the right, like the fascist right, and like literally just taking each and every chapter out of their playbook. And you're not exaggerating when you say the fascist right. No, not at all. Like one of the first things Modi did in 2002, so we are talking almost two decades ago when he became, when he came to power in his state was rewrite textbooks in Gujarat to show that Hitler wasn't all bad. You know, like Hitler did some good stuff too. So like the textbooks in Gujarat before 2002 used to say very rightly that Hitler was all bad. And he came to power and said, no, 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 Hitler was, yeah, he did bad stuff, but he did this good stuff too. So he comes from a party that literally seven, eight decades ago had ties with Hitler. And, you know, they have been very pro-Nazi, pro-fascism in their origin. The Rashtriya Swayam Sevak Sangha, the RSS, as we call it. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah I think, Ravi, you and I talked about their uh, playing footsie with fascism in our last episode, right? Yeah, yeah, we did spend a significant amount of time um, about that. So, yes, they were um, openly, very openly pro-Nazism and, and fascism. They were, their whole organization was inspired um, by the fascist groups in Europe. All their leaders um, have praised Hitler and Mussolini and suggested that fascism is a model to follow in India. So, yeah, there's no, there's no ambiguity about any of that. And they're in power. I mean... It sounds scary from here, especially being someone of Muslim background. Just watching the, I don't know, the global dehumanization just collectively everywhere of Muslims, it's it's terrifying. I'm not even a believer and it scares the shit out of me, you know? It started to become very anti-Muslim all over the place. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I don't think there's there's any way you can you can deny that it's um, it's definitely well. I guess the um, not just the anti-Muslim thing, but like far right populism right. has been on the rise globally. Actually, a lot of the stuff that people were talking about, you know, with with Trump, um, a lot of that happened a lot earlier um, 
in in India because remember Modi came to power in 2014, so it was before before Trump mm-hmm. and the other waves of, of far right populism in in Europe. And and yeah, I mean India has a, of course has a very long history of um, Islamophobia, so it's um, so it's not surprising that you're seeing a lot of the the same stuff in India, but in fact um, in a in a much worse um, and much more violent and brutal way. Right, and now um, with this new citizenship law, uh, things are getting pretty violent there. Uh, when I heard about this, I was like, I was in awe. I was like, how can this be real? Like, they're putting this down in law. They're excluding Muslims. Like, uh, I don't know, Gaurav, do you want to explain what the Citizenship Act is? Sure. So uh, the Citizenship Amendment Act what was the Citizenship Amendment Bill, and then it became an act, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it says is that uh, if you are somebody from Afghanistan, Bangladesh, or Pakistan who is essentially, if if you are from Afghanistan, Bangladesh, or Pakistan, and you're not a Muslim, then you get a shortcut to becoming a citizen through uh, the refugee route in India. So, like on on paper, it just seems like a small shortcut for these small minorities, but taken holistically with all the other things that are going on in India with the national uh, uh, citizenship registration and other things. And what's that, the national citizenship registration? uh, So they started off with this thing in a state called Assam, which borders Bangladesh, where uh, because there was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, people going back and forth through the border between the two states of uh, Assam and between Bangladesh, they set in place a mechanism in which you have to sort of uh, prove your citizenship using documents etc uh, because you know it's uh, it was a codification of the papers please attitude and this has been going on since 1971 when bangladesh separated from pakistan mm-hmm. so uh, it was it was on books for four decades but it's only in the last few years that the indian government started doing this and this new government said they are now going to uh, implement it all over the country which means that you're basically going to be guilty until proven innocent. So unless you prove to the government that you are a citizen, you will be treated as a non-citizen. Wow. And that's how it started in Assam, and now it is going to be implemented all over the country. And you take that in conjunction with this bill, which says that as long as you're not a Muslim, but you're born after 1971, but born before 2014 in these states, you're fine. It yeah, so it's like a really horrible situation. The Citizenship Act is like a path to fast tracking citizenship for refugees of minorities that are fleeing religious persecution from countries like Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh, and Afghanistan, but not Muslims. And to have that, yeah, and for the first time, it says not Muslims. Yeah. Right. It's like pretty blatant. And they continue to claim that it's that no one needs to worry, that it's not anti-Muslim. Um, it's only for people that are persecuted. I mean, as if Muslims aren't persecuted, right? Uh, in a country like India, they're persecuted. So how do you not imagine that someone like an Ahmadi Muslim might be fleeing as well? Yeah. Also, if I can go back for a second to the the NRC that um, that was implemented in Assam, it it actually gets even more blatant when you think about that. Um, So the reason it was implemented there is because there's been like um, some waves of Assamese ethno-nationalism for for a while now. And they've been concerned about um, 
the immigration of Bengalis. It's more of an ethnic thing than mm-hmm. a religious thing um, there. So they've always had a significant Bengali um, minority population and also a large degree of immigration. Um, so the NRC was really implemented um, with, you know, and, and the BJP did that in Assam. But what they realized was that when it was actually implemented and when they went through the whole process of getting people's documentation, they realized that a lot of people who would end up losing their citizenship would actually be Bengali Hindus, right? So, of course, the BJP can have that. So just so to explain for the audience what the BJP is, who they are. Oh, right. So, so the BJP is the, um, is the Hindu nationalist party that's, um, that's currently in power. They came to power in 2014. Um, and then they won the elections again in 2019. Um, Good times. A, yes. Um, so, so yeah, they, they implemented this NRC in, in Assam, and, and it turned out that a significant number of people who would end up becoming illegal immigrants and lose their citizenship status were Bengali Hindus, which, of course, the, the BJP wouldn't want that to happen. So it's at that point that they um, implemented the Citizenship Amendment Bill. Mm-hmm. So that way, the Hindus get to remain citizens, whereas they can still get rid of all the Muslims. Um, nice. So it's when you when you look at the history, it becomes even more blatant. There's just mm-hmm. like there's no way you can deny that this was designed specifically to exclude Muslims. But of course, they're denying it, right? Yes. Yeah. Their 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 whole line is that it's about people fleeing religious persecution. Which, first of all. Why would you just, why is it just religious persecution and not other forms of like political um, mm-hmm. persecution, which of course also happens um, in these states? And even if, as you know, you guys have both pointed out, there are persecuted Muslim groups in all of these countries as well. Um, but of course, they're not going to get the, the citizenship fast track that the, that the non Muslims will. So, yeah, I mean, of course, they're going to you know, push the the whole propaganda about how it's just about, you know, helping minorities fleeing persecution, but um, just look under the surface and it's obvious that it's very specifically designed to exclude Muslims. So tell me if I'm wrong, but the way that I see it, the rhetoric of them denying it seems very IDW-esque, right? Like it's kind of a gaslighty, uh, pretending to be more moderate, um, you know, like... When it comes to Trump, he's pretty blatant and stupid. In a way, that seems less threatening to me when someone is open about their bigotry. Then you know what you're up against. But when someone is trying to couch it in all kinds of ways, pretend that it's um, secular and liberal, then just about, no, 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 this is just about, you know, protecting other minorities or something like that. It seems a lot more frightening because it has the opportunity to to get some yeah. respect, right? It like it can grow and fester in uh, even like socially acceptable uh, circles. Yeah, I mean they are trying to couch it in uh, more uh, secular or IDW terms, but I don't think anybody's buying it because <laughs> they themselves are having trouble sticking to it. Like Mo- Prime Minister Modi himself said that. You can tell the people who oppose this act based on the way they dress. Jesus. And the reference being that in his mind, yeah, in his mind, like Indian Muslims dress a certain way. So people opposing this have been, you know, wearing different clothes just to show him how just openly bigoted he's being in that way. So even though they are trying to talk out the both uh, both sides of their mouth, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like... Uh, it's very, it's the thinnest pretense now. Uh, talk to me a bit about the protests that were going on. Were you there when that was happening? 
Uh, I did attend a couple of protests. So I was in uh, Pune and Mumbai mostly, and a lot of the way these protests are going depends on which party's government is ruling that particular state. Mm-hmm. And as it happens, Mumbai and Pune are ruled currently by a party that used to be aligned with the BJP, but as of just two months ago, went in the opposite direction. So they were okay letting these protests happen. So all the protests I attended were very peaceful. But there have been protests in Delhi and a few other states which have been really brutally clamped down by the police and, some and in the Muslim, government just uh, arrests in a lot of places for doing nothing. Right, in Muslim universities, right? Uh, uh, yeah, right. With Muslims and Dalits both. And uh, in uh, Uttar Pradesh in Lucknow, which has a larger Muslim uh, population than most of the country, so there also they have been clamped down on. And uh, these protests have been going on since about more uh, more than six weeks now. And uh, uh, it has led to, I think, the first really broad-based opposition to this government coming from a, an organic civil society way. So in the last six years, that's why I think the right wing is really shocked because they have not seen it until now mm-hmm. in this uh, big of a way. And what kinds of things were the police doing in these protests? So they used uh, tear gas, there was a firing, there was what is in India called a lati charge, which is they just take these big wooden sticks and beat up people to make them uh, uh, do what people have been arrested. So there was this one guy who was arrested without bail, His name is Chandrasekhar Azad, he's uh, part of a party that represents the Dalit and Muslim alliance. And he just literally gave a speech and posted on social media or something and they arrested him. And in his, bail, in his bail petition, the government said, we cannot share what we arrested him for because oh. it has a national security implication. Like that is the most bizarre thing ever. I'd also add that there have been several deaths um, as well. I, I can't remember like the number off the top of my head. I don't know if you know, but I mean, the last time I checked, it was definitely like more than 20, but um, it's probably even more now. Yeah, so these, this is this yeah. is yeah it's pretty it's pretty bad and this is all from protesting the citizenship law right Ye- so yes it definitely began as a as a protest against the, the citizenship law and also against um the nrc which we were which we were talking right. about earlier um but but you know the sense i get and you know i'm you know, i'm not the best person to um talk about this because you know i've not been on the ground so you probably have a better um view of this but my understanding is that it's sort of developing into something broader right so it's uh, against um the the current government um as a whole rather than just these two specific recent um sort of implementations would you would you agree with that yeah for sure uh, it has definitely it started off that way but it has become like a more uh, a broad based protest against what the government is doing and even if you look at all the signs over there or the speeches made it is essentially uh a protest against this government's fascism or bigotry. And, uh, you know, like what they have done with these uh, two bills or these two acts is just something that ha- that represents the pinnacle of their bigotry. So it's kind of appropriate that, that this is what has led to people coming out and pushing back against what is happening. But honestly, I'm very <laughs> pessimistic about 
what is happening in UAE, but it's a good thing for sure. But I'm still pessimistic. What's the general sense you got from being there and speaking to people? Like, was there still a lot of support for the BJP? It mirrors the U.S. in a lot of ways in the sense that people who supported the BJP are still mostly supporting the BJP. Mm. So, and social media and especially uh, apps like WhatsApp and Facebook play a big part of it in that they have their, uh, you know, their yarn machines or their propaganda machines going. So a lot of people I speak to and still justify this act and all the violence and everything saying, oh, it's for the greater common good. It is patriotic. It is nationalistic. So that is part of why I'm pessimistic in the sense that I don't see it changing the landscape, at least in the short term. Hopefully it will change the political landscape in the long term. But this party came back to power with almost a two-thirds majority just mm. eight, uh, just six months ago. So uh, democratically, I don't really see what can, how, what can change things. It's like if Trump got re-elected and also won the Senate with a filibuster-proof majority <laughs> and also won the House by 60%. It's kind of like what... Oh. That is what happened in India. So, And do you think Trump is going to win? Uh, wow. Yeah, that's a whole different level of pessimism. <laughs> I hope not. I, I, I don't. I'm, I'm much less pessimistic about the US than I am about India. Mm. Let's put it that way. What do you say, Ravi? So, yes, I've, I, was, I definitely share the, the pessimism here. Things are way, way worse um, in India than, um, than the U.S. And, I, and you know, I, I think we've spoken about this before, but I'd say that of all, like, the established um, major democracies, the, if any of them are at real risk of slipping into full-on fascism, then, then India is probably the, the closest. Um, but I will say that, like, these protests um, that have emerged are cause for some, however... To mitigated optimism because honestly i didn't even expect this to happen i thought like that sort of indian society has just completely completely gone over to hindu nationalism and there's just any opposition that exists um is so so tiny um that it, there's there's really nothing that you know there's really nothing that can happen um in the short term but the fact that these sort of mass protests have, have erupted all over the country, and it really is a sort of pan-Indian phenomenon, mm-hmm. I would say so. A lot, a lot of the, the, pl- mm-hmm. the protests that get a lot of attention are the ones that happen in the urban centers. Um, but a lot of the small towns, you know, a lot of the sort of, um, sort of impoverished regions um, of, of, of India, the, the Muslim-majority um, regions, all of them have been um, protesting, although they don't get as much coverage as sort of the big urban centers and, and the universities. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it really is a sort of, large-scale pan-Indian phenomenon at this point, which I think is is a cause for, for some optimism. Right, right. Um, that, that is something. Yeah, so it hasn't, it hasn't the, the rot isn't isn't complete. So there's, there's but, some hope, I would say. But surely you guys aren't going to burst my bubble that uh, Bollywood, uh, the hub of art and creativity, um, you know, it's got to be super progressive and speaking out about this stuff, right? <laughs> Yeah, this is where, um, <laughs> um, as much as we like to kind of criticize Hollywood, and there's plenty to criticize, at least Hollywood is, you know, kind of progressive and mm. has is predominantly anti-Trump, whereas the Bolly, whereas Bollywood, 
um, as far as I know, has um, has completely just fallen in line with with Hindu nationalism, or or just generally um, have, are showing no signs of opposing Modi. The last I checked, I mean, there may, there have been more recent developments with with the protests, but you know, as far as I know, Bollywood is is pretty much marching in step with um, with with Hindu nationalism. Oh, you had to burst my bubble. There. Yeah, I'm. I'm Yes, sorry to burst your bubble, but yeah, I completely agree with Ravi. And it's not a it's not a new thing. I think Bollywood has just traditionally been more right of center because India's elite are roughly right of center, and uh, Bollywood itself has gotten more and more uh, privileged in the sense that most of the people ruling Bollywood right now are second, third, or even fourth generation. Film stars from uh, entrenched families in mm. the industry, as opposed to Hollywood, which is still mostly people you know who wor- worked as waiters or did this or waiters or waitresses and mm-hmm. kind of came up the hard way. Bollywood just comes from a place of privilege, which has made it even more right of center than it used to be. So yeah, even with these protests, sadly, either they are silent or uh, there are a few, of course. Like I'm, I have a couple of friends from Mumbai who are. In there, and there is the the unofficial anthem of uh, the protest is called "Kagaz Nahi Dikhayenge," which literally means "We'll not be showing you our papers," because what they have is a "Papers Please" law, and that "Kagaz Nahi Dikhayenge" is something written by a Bollywood scriptwriter and lyricist called Varun Grower. So I know that name. Yeah, so he's like very progressive, but he's one of the few uh, minority um, voices within Bollywood. Most of Bollywood is sadly very much in lockstep with these right wingers, and that's so sad. Like, as an uh, I, I suppose outsider perspective, right? Uh, as a Pakistani, I grew up. Uh, you know, when I was little, certainly I used to watch a lot more Bollywood movies, and I just never imagined that these people that I admired would be these horrible status quo warriors, <laughs> and it's so disappointing, especially because some really big names are of Muslim background, right? There's Amr Khan, Salman Khan, Shah Rukh Khan, and all those. Um, and then what do they do? They tweet out pictures of themselves with Modi. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, so, so one thing I will say is just there may be a misconception among some of some of your listeners here is that so Bollywood is, at least outside India, is usually used to refer to Indian cinema um, as a whole, but... In India, it's usually it usually just means the Hindi um, film industry. Ah, oh, um, yes. So right. I think you will um, for a lot of like the southern film industry, um, which is also Tamil, massive, right? Yes, which is also massive. But I think you will find that the actors there are probably more um, generally more progressive, or if not progressive, at least um, not completely in support of, of the stuff that's going on and completely in support of, of internationalism. Um, so the, so the states in the deep South have, are, um, usually been not too pro have usually been opposed to, to internationalism. And why um, is that? Do you think the difference? Ah, there's, that's a, it's a long story. So there's, um, it depends. So you're going to have to look at it on a state by state basis. But, um, so Kerala has, is not only does it have a large um, Christian and Muslim minority, so it makes it harder for um, for, the, for Hindu nationalism to rise to power there. Mm. But they've always they've always had a strong communist presence. So they've generally been and communists, of course, have, have always been very 
um, the deadly enemies of, of, of the Hindu nationalists. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Congress is also pretty strong and, and careless. So, so far, the, uh, the, the Hindu nationalists have not risen to power there. And they, I don't think they will anytime soon. So I'm pretty sure that if you look at the film industry there, for example, most, most of the actors are going to oppose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's been disappointing from Bollywood, the most mainstream and big Muslim background names. They haven't really said anything. And I, sh- I should add, though, that at least uh, two of these three big names, which is Amir Khan and Shah Rukh Khan, hmm. have spoken in the past about how they worry about the right, right. word. And then there was controversy, country. right? There was major controversy yeah. around it. Their statements were really mild, right? Something like, oh, we just worry about the sentiments rising in this country or something like that. Yeah, right. Like their things were just generally about how in the last few years things are getting. Because both of them are uh, married to Hindu women. So their children are half Muslim, half Hindu. So, you know, they're just, they were just expressing themselves in a very polite, mm-hmm. you know, n- not at all strident way about the way things are changing but uh, the right wing has gotten so shrill that they were shouted down painted as anti-nationalists etc mm-hmm. so and then their loyalties were like you know called into question right yeah some really exactly. nasty stuff so i i guess part of that is uh fear uh fear mm-hmm. of losing your career or whatever um but even still, I find it shocking that there could be so much silence at a time like this, especially from people yeah. with big platforms. Yeah, that definitely has been uh, disappointing. And a few names have uh, spoken up or tried to speak up or even just stand literally silently, like Deepika Padukone, who's a pretty uh, one of the top uh, female actors in uh, Bollywood right now. But she just showed up for a protest and immediately the right wing uh, wolves came down and just started like vilifying her and everything. So, yeah, it's it's full on uh, 1930s Germany happening in India right now. Even the smallest thing you say against the government is just painted in the most uh, bizarre ways that you can imagine. And that's why those six weeks felt like 66 weeks in India. I just... It was just a daily, day in and day out, hour in and hour out barrage of uh, fascism. Yeah, that sounds horrifying. And how how is it like with, uh, I guess, childhood friends and stuff? So I imagine that you've lived away in the U.S. for a while and they've been there. And when you guys meet up again, is it strange? Like, are they starting to support things that you're shocked by or... Uh, yes, the one my childhood friends in India much more so are in support of uh, the right wing government than I would have expected to be, uh, and it is still civil, so it's not like we are just you know, yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that reaches a point even within civil disagreement where I'm like, oh, okay, and then we just start discussing something else because these are people I grew up with, so you know, like yeah. beyond a point, yeah. There's not much I can do, but yeah, much more so my the folks I know back in India are pro-right wing than, let's say, the Indian diaspora I know in the U.S. Not to say that Indian diaspora in the U.S. is uh, uh, 
necessarily progressive or anything like that. There's a huge pro-Modi element here as well. Hey, remember that that rally, that Howdy Modi (laughs) rally? Was it in Texas? It was massive. (laughs) Does that mirror your experiences too, Ravi, like with people that you've known? Um, I think my experiences have been a little bit more positive. Um, so I, a lot of people, well, one of the things I've noticed is especially now, a lot of people who were previously just politically disengaged or completely apolitical mm-hmm. have actually started. Um, and th- that would be most of, you know, the, the, the friends that I know in India are just completely apolitical. Um, a significant number of them are now um, sort of participating in the protests or at least generally seem to be in solidarity with um with the protests although you know um, they're definitely i I wouldn't say that's that's the case with all the uh the people i know in india so um i also think it's a it's a generational thing at least Mm -hmm. um what i've observed um diaspora in, in the u.s is that the more recent immigrants and also the the older people generally seem to be more pro um, pro Modi and pro Hindu nationalism than than the younger folks. Um, that's that's been my experience. I think the the the, the diaspora as a whole, the younger um, people are uh, on the whole more progressive than their counterparts in India. I mean, that's what I would think is a general thing across the board. But then you see things like Quillette becoming popular and um, Paul <laughs> Joseph Watson and garbage like that, and it's. And that really terrifies me is when far right and right wing bullshit is uh, kind of given a facelift for young people to rediscover and think that they're kind of doing something counterculture. And oh, yeah, I mean, uh, just to take a slight tangent into U.S. politics and uh, like you said, I'm a professor and I've been dealing with young, teaching young people for over a decade now. And the worrying thing has been that what used to be just an assumption, at least in the Northeast U.S., was that most students are liberal. In the last four or five years, not so much being the default assumption. I still think most students of mine in the Northeast are liberals, but there are there's a lot more a louder expression and acceptance of the right-wing thought that mm-hmm. is very disturbing. But, yeah. Yeah, so you're telling me that, you know, uh, SJWs aren't going around whipping professors on campuses? Is this true? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. I wish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, poor professors aren't, and white people generally aren't like shaking in their boots from entering a university campus. Yes, obviously not. And I think we have talked about that on Twitter. That that is just such a such a completely fake news kind of narrative. And people pushing it usually have never stepped foot in a campus or. Never actually talk to anybody in academia, and usually it's a couple of uh, professors with access to grind that are pushing this completely false narrative. But yes, that is a completely different tangent that we can yeah. go into in some other discipline, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to draw a connection, there, a lot of the demonization of academia is, is, um, is a thing in India as well. Um, I mean, it's 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 not surprising because it's just a classic sort of far right trip. Um, intellectuals are always mm-hmm. demonized um, in these movements, so it's not surprising. Yeah, intellectuals and higher education and 
you know, ideas that they don't agree with. As ironic as it is that their whole thing is that the left is silencing ideas that they don't agree with when actually you hear about how bad and dangerous the Muslims are all the time. You hear about, you know, skull shapes and race and IQ now. Uh, I don't see it being silenced. I just want to add one fact, one very creepy, disturbing fact for your listeners, which is that uh, there have been a couple of universities in India that have traditionally been more, uh, you know, politically opinionated as have been their students, like the JNU, the Jawaharlal Nehru University or Aligarh Muslim University. Those are the ones that had the big protests. Yeah. So those have had the protests and that has been happening for a while. A big shift this time was a university called the JMU, which is the Jamia Millia Islamia University, which is not at all a traditionally uh, political or even a traditionally Muslim university. It just has a name that sounds very Muslim. Mm. If you don't know about that university, it's like Jamia Millia Islamia, right? Like you hear that name and you start. If you don't know anything about India or about uh, politics in India, you start, you hear that name and you start thinking about like ISIS or Al-Qaeda, but it's just any other, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't jump like, from... Uh, like a St. Yeah. Xavier's is no more a Catholic university. It's something like that. The Jamia yeah. Millia Islamia is not at all a Muslim university. But because it has that name, that is where they sent in the cops. And that is where they beat up students. And part of the reason why this became such a big news story is that students there and faculty there were shocked because it has never been a university on uh, radar as being a very activist university. It was just a university doing its usual stuff, but the government decided, oh, you have a Muslim name, so we are going to send in cops and we are going to beat up your faculty and your students. And that kind of is one of the things that pushed these protests even above and beyond what used to happen. Because people who live in that city know that This is crossing a whole new level of bigotry or fascism. Right. And I'm sure all the people who talk about, you know, um, people being silenced on university campuses were all about this. Surely this was the topic of discussion in IDW forums. Mm -hmm. Right. Like all the (laughs) anti-SJWs were right on this case. Right. Uh, Yeah. Again, I wish. Oh, I wish. <laughs> Just crickets, I suppose. Then, uh, completely. I mean, yeah. how much how much attention does the RDW pay to to India? Um, I, I mean, would... when it's in their when it's in their favor. I mean, did you not hear? Um, not India, but when anything that's outside of the North America sphere is something that they want to cash in on or capitalize on or just draw from. Do you remember the clip of Ruben mispronouncing Bolsonaro's name and talking about how at least he's going to get rid of the SJW stuff from universities? Yes, yes I, I do remember that. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, the the police the police brutality has been is pretty pretty amazing that that not just university students but. Um, as I was talking about before, a lot of these, um, really it's these impoverished Muslim majority regions um, where they've been just absolutely brutal. I think, you know, one thing that gets left, sometimes gets left out in these discussions, that it's not just the cops. It's usually the cops working with mobs um, of, yeah. of Hindu nationalist organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of these universities, it was the, it was a student wing of, um, of, 
uh, of the Hindu nationalist um, party that um, that uh, that did a lot of uh, committed a lot of the violence, um, and a lot of these mobs target these Muslim majority regions. And the cops usually either they, they either turn a blind eye to what's going on or or actively support the violence that's happening. Which, again, since we keep drawing these parallels to um, European fascism in the 30s, you could see similar things happening there as well. You know, the the, the black shirts and the brown shirts were either you know they, the police either turned a blind eye or actively supported them. Usually, when they went on these rampages. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's something that uh, that when we talk about the, the police brutality, we shouldn't leave out the fact that there's a lot of these um, mobs um, and non-state organizations participating in this as well. Yeah, yeah, non-state and at the same time quasi-state. So, like parties like yes. the ABVP or RSS, yeah, uh, kind of like quasi-state when their party's in power. Hmm. And do you think this kind of blind eye? Turning happens in things like beef lynchings as well. Oh, absolutely! I have no no doubt that it that it happens um, all over the place. That's terrifying, honestly. Yeah, I can't remember where I saw, but there was like a poll um, of what Indian police, um, of what Indian cops believe, and they, you know, unsurprisingly, was um, revealed that they're you know significantly more right wing than you'd than you know I guess the the average. Many of them have openly bigoted views towards Muslims. Muslims think, think Muslims are more prone to crime than others, and so on. Um, and a lot of them are very obviously supporters of, of Hindu nationalism, really sympathetic to it. Um, so yes, they definitely you know turn a blind eye um, to to a lot of what goes on. If not, like I said, actively support um, some of the stuff. It, isn't that great to hear that these people are in positions of authority and power? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of tragic that it's not just the, the people in you know, positions of state power. It's that this the thing to understand about the the RSS and this not just the RSS but this whole constellation of um, sort of Hindu nationalist organizations is that they've spent decades sort of penetrating um, civil society. Right? They have um, mm-hmm. they have like schools and educational centers, clubs, you know, charitable societies, you know, even federations of trade unions that have just been that have been like on the ground working in different parts of India for, for decades. Um, so this, this whole victory of the BJP isn't something that just sort of hmm. happened out of nowhere. Um, it was building up for a long time. Right. And that's the other thing is that, um, you know, the, the sort of authoritarianism that you're seeing in India is not just something that's sort of being imposed from the top down, which is the case in a lot of right-wing mm-hmm. dictatorships. Um, if that were the case, it would actually be less frightening. Um, mm. the, the thing about Hindu nationalism that makes it really parallel to the classical fascism of, of Italy and Germany is that you have a genuinely mass base for what's going on. You have a party of committed nationalists who are working to transform civil society, not just government, but civil society, um, to make to, to, to mobilize people and to, to, uh, to sort of enforce their sort of vision, of their fascist vision um, all across society. So it's a genuine mass movement that is, you know, that's penetrating all of civil society um, and has been doing so for decades. So it was just a question of opposing an authoritarian government. Mm. Um, it will be a lot easier, a lot less concerning. Um, but, the, but the rot goes much deeper here. Um, and it's ironic because this is what you hear from Indians as criticism of Pakistan, right? Like all the time that there's so much right. intolerance and state sanctioned bigotry and we're so much better than this and we're a liberal democracy, we're secular, but no, no, not at all anymore at all, it seems. 
Yeah, not not even close. No, and it's uh, when they complain about Pakistan or Saudi Arabia, it's less that we are better than them, but more in the sense of why can't we be more like them? So like the unstated goal seems to be to make India into a Hindu version of Saudi Arabia. Not even oh, Pakistan, but yeah, more like a Hindu version of Saudi Arabia. Like, why don't you stop them there? So like. If I post, let's say, a picture of a steak on my Twitter, people are like, "Why don't you go to Saudi Arabia and post a picture of pork chops?" Like uh-huh, that is literally uh-huh. the attitude they have. That that's very much an IDW tactic, right? Oh, why are you speaking out for gay exactly. rights here? Why don't you go to Saudi Arabia <laughs> and wear this T-shirt? Or you know, oh, you think you're all big and feminist over here? Why don't you go to Saudi Arabia and do this protest and wear a pussy hat there? It's like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, we all understand why things are bad in Saudi Arabia. Why can we not speak out where we want to speak out? Like, why is that used as a silencing tactic? Yeah, completely. And and and, and sadly, in India, it comes more. A lot of it also comes from a place of they actually want that to happen, as opposed to just a silencing tactic. So. Yeah, yeah, they seem like they're yeah. jealous that they cannot treat minorities in that way or women in that way. Yeah. They won't yeah. say it like that, of course, but it does seem to come from, yeah. like, they don't, it's not that they oppose Saudi Arabia's brand of extreme conservatism, it's that they want to install their own brand of extreme conservatism. Right. They oppose what's uh, slightly different from them, not because based on principle of being against that kind of thing, but because it's not mm-hmm. their brand. The line that you hear from them all the time is, there are so many officially Muslim states, countries all over the world. Why can't we just have one for Hindus? If Muslims can do it, so can we. Um, that's that's a constant line that, that you hear from them. So, so yes, the the goal is a, is an authoritarian ethno state. Um, there's that's you know that's there's no doubt about that. Um, right, but they so criticize they, Pakistan for for being a state that came into existence based on religion all the time. Yeah, uh, but but the criticism is, is followed up with, well, if you can do it, so can we. Um, <laughs> so then you don't really think it's that bad, right? <laughs> well, it's only bad because you are doing it. Right. That's, that's that's basically it. It's just pure pure tribalism and nothing. There's there's no principle. Um, there's there's no underlying principle. There's there's yeah. It's just it's just you can do it. We can do it too. Oh, I mean, I just feel so hopeless, guys. I don't. I don't even know what can be done or what can be said to combat this kind of thing. Being someone of Muslim background, of Pakistani background, seeing how so many of these people supported me speaking out against Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and and extreme far-right views over there, and how all these types of people would applaud me and, you know, embrace me, and the second that critical lens is turned based on principle outwards like okay guys this is not this is not cool happening in the west like why aren't you speaking out against it i thought you were with me right when i was speaking out against this happening to minorities in pakistan it's just it, it falls apart so quickly when you're in my position to see how they champion the rights of women from saudi arabia but, but i you know i'm a woman who came from saudi arabia not my rights, because I speak out against the Western right immediately. 
I'm uh, if I'm not treated in the same way that say someone like Ayan Hirsi Ali would be, even though I'm an ex-Muslim woman, I do have plenty of criticisms of Islam, but I also have criticisms of the Western far right. Yeah. Yes. Although, like, what, since we've had such a depressing discussion so far, one note of positivity is that all these protests in India, mostly they have leaders that are female. And I think this is the first time I've seen that happen in India. So the biggest ongoing protest in Delhi is in a place called Shaheen Bagh, which is all led by Muslim women. Hmm. And uh, m- most of the visible and the loudest uh, voices or personalities leading these protests are women. And there, is a- there have also been a lot of uh, social media videos from women protesting against the government and fighting against the cops, etc. Because at least some cops have uh, the you know, the old chivalry or whatever, not to beat up women. So many times women will form a chain around their male uh, mm. companions who are protesting just to stop them from police brutality. And so, yeah, like this is, I think the first time in my life in India that I've seen a public movement that is led completely or something like 90% by female leaders. Hmm. Yeah, that's something. That's uh that's a good point. Gaurav, I wanted to uh, talk to you. I, I remember writing this thread on Twitter about discovering how a friend of mine was like a closet Trump supporter and the way that she kind of dropped it in conversation. Didn't ever admit to it, of course, but it was very much like, oh, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I'm just trying to look at things from both sides. Um, you know, I'm not supporting. No, but, but then any criticism... Any criticism that was put forth to her, the goalposts were dodged. You know, when it was like about him being a sexual predator, it was like, yeah, but what What about other men in powerful positions? What What about other presidents? And, but we're not talking about them. You know, I'm talking about Trump right now. Yeah, fuck those people too. When it was about his anti-immigrant rhetoric it was like yeah but what about his actual policies uh what about the muslim ban yeah but then it was goalpost shifting again it was like but economically you know he's done really well when facts were presented about that it was like oh but these sources are too left-wing any source for anything was too left-wing so it was this whole gaslighty dishonest Again, I hate to say it, but very IDW-esque, Rubenesque. Uh, you know, I'm not supporting him, but yeah, fuck yeah, you are. When I brought up the fact that he couldn't condemn the KKK, there was no like, oh yeah, that's bad. There was, the immediate reaction was, um, I'd have to see what context that was in. And what about, were other people asked this question about condemning the KKK? And it was just gross. It was so gross. Um, so yeah, I saw that you related to that on Twitter, uh, in an Indian context. So I just wanted you to talk to me a bit more about that. Oh yes, absolutely. And this, at least in my immediate circles, it happens to me a lot more in India than it happens to me. Like I live in the most, I guess the nicest liberal bubble living in Manhattan in the U S so I don't see as, I don't interact with as many Trump fans, but yeah, whenever I go back to India, with Modi, it is exactly like this. So there'll be some people who are out and out supportive of him, but even though those who don't support him, many, many of them will do exactly this. Where it's 
you start you go beyond two or three lines and it's about what about the congress government and you know congress was the opposition party so not like hmm. the us congress congress but the uh, the uh, party that you ruled india for a while that used to be left of center but yeah it is that thing and one line i often use is uh, since you were talking about bollywood earlier is was this very famous line by amitabh bachchan where he's like jao pehle us aadmi ka sign lekar aao jisne mere haath pe ye likh diya tha and the story being that somebody was mean to him as a kid and somebody tattooed something nasty on his arm as a kid and then this guy becomes a criminal and he just uses that as an excuse like if you're calling me a criminal go and ask that person who was mean to me as a kid and oh god uh, that's the line i always use like the most frequent tactic of um either outright modi supporters or even just centrists pretending to be centrists but who are actually modi supporter is kind of that like go and ask congress go and ask the old communists go and ask you know like they they never actually talk about their own government which has been in power for now 6 years and in some states for over 20 years they'll just want to deflect 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 and one friend came out and explicitly said at the end of an argument yeah you can only talk to us after 60 years because the previous party ruled for almost 60 years so as long as 60 years don't pass yeah. you should not, not criticize this government okay what the fuck i'll be dead in 60 years probably wow so, i'm going to criticize them now yeah it's just what about ery Yeah. Constantly and gaslighting. It's it's really frustrating yeah. to have that conversation. It's like kind of the Quillette thing, right? Of oh, these are not mm-hmm. Nazis. You know, real Nazis were in 1930s Germany. And it's like real Nazis killed people in gas chambers. So it's like you don't say anything until we get to that point. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. it's horrifying. I don't even know what to say. to that tactic and the sad part is i like in the last few years i've read a few books from actual 1930s germany and this is exactly how things were happening there right it wasn't yeah this is exactly how they would justify these things until it got too late i know this person is not all bad you know just one or two things are bad mm-hmm. gerbels is a very articulate smart person he's a phd and things like that So like it's following the same track mm-hmm. in India and the US in Brazil and UK we're just going down that same road again this time with the power of social media which is yeah which is such an amplifying factor right it's scary how quickly things can accelerate with that power behind them what say you ravi social media is really that um especially the the far right in India have adapted remarkably well to it so there's a constant constant stream of propaganda that uh, really um I've actually seen people who were um again completely apolitical but slowly turn into these hindu nationalist um zombies after exposure to the kind of propaganda on to that kind of propaganda on social media um so yeah social media really does amplify bigotry in ways that you know you, you wouldn't expect but but yeah it does happen and i'm not sure what we can do apart from sort of counter propaganda there's really nothing else you can do right um you can't you can't shut it down entirely right. social media has has always been a valuable tool for dissenting voices as well so all we can do is is push back mm-hmm. but always doesn't it seem like 
fighting for the status quo is always going to have much more power behind it than fighting against it. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, dissenters are always um, going to face an uphill battle. Um, conditions are always going to be positioned against them. But you know, what, what what can you do but keep keep fighting? Really? Yeah, unless you want to lay down and take it, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You either you either just give up and let it happen, or <laughs> you you take a stand. <laughs> this conversation is getting so depressing. Can we can we talk about something <laughs> fun? For a second, what what can we say? What can we talk about in terms of India? Nothing fun going on there these days. Ah, uh, I don't know. Like the food is still pretty good. <laughs> ah, yes, this is true. This is true. I mean, I haven't been to India, but I totally believe you when you say the food is pretty good. It looks damn good. Of course, Pakistani biryani is better, but <clears throat> I hope I won't be canceled now. <laughs> All biryani is beautiful. Really, you think so? I, uh, well, I'm I'm just trying to be neutral here um, and not get canceled. <laughs> Biryani centrist. Yes. Get the fuck out of here, you centrist. Biryani. <laughs> he can't be a biryani centrist. You gotta pick a side. I'll tell you something yeah. though. Biryani that doesn't have potatoes in it is nonsense. Uh, now I'm told they're gonna get canceled. What? Yes, you are canceled. Yes. <laughs> Blocking reporting cancel. <laughs> You're gonna get off this call with me and block immediately. I mean, no, though I don't yeah. eat much meat, so when there's biryani without potatoes, there's nothing in there for me. It's very sad. Ah, all right. Okay, then you will really like this thing in India called veg vegetarian biryani, which a lot of people want to cancel from the other side. But, yeah. <laughs> Um, yes, I have heard of this vegetarian biryani before. Yes. Um, but tell me this. Tell me about the term non-veg. I heard you venting. Well, I saw you venting about it on Twitter uh, <laughs> recently. Like, as a non-Indian, this wouldn't strike me as an obnoxious term. But the way that you were describing it, you know, it was interesting. Yeah, so in, in India, even though majority Indians... Uh, are not vegetarians. The dominant Brahminical uh, uh, culture is such that vegetarianism has a, a virtue associated with it that goes beyond just what we see in the West, which is about ethics or environmentalism, mm -hmm. etc. In India, it's more like, oh, this is the right way of doing things. And if you are not a vegetarian, then you're like evil, impure, dirty, etc. So it's mm -hmm. almost like it's attached to that. So in India, a restaurant will be described as a vegetarian restaurant or a non-vegetarian restaurant. So the default assumption is that vegetarian is normal, so non-vegetarian is abnormal or something mm -hmm. that needs to be pointed out, and just something we grow up in, grow up with in India. And it's only much later that I realized that that it has casteist or bigoted implication mm -hmm. where restaurant is pure vegetarian as in being vegetarianism is being pure mm -hmm. and it comes from uh, casteism it comes from brahmanism so i said that this time when i went to india i said there is food and then there is vegetarian food so i tried to stick to that so you're trying to normalize like um non-vegetarian yeah. food that is considered impure basically yeah, yeah, and from the fringes or from the outside, it just seems pedantic. But 
the, since the right wing came to power, they have gotten rid of eggs from school lunches mm-hmm. in uh, the state-run schools. And India is a country where a lot of the diet is primarily vegetarian. So eggs are a source of protein for mm-hmm. you know uh, lower-income kids who go to school and only have school lunches. So like these things have practical implications mm-hmm. where. This attaching a virtue to vegetarianism is actually affecting people's nutrition and people's well-being. And the the epitome of that is, of course, the beef-related lynchings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm always interested in hearing Ravi's perspective on vegetarianism in India as a uh, not-Hindu nationalist vegan that he is. Yeah, we spoke about this a little we did, towards yeah. the end um, of the last podcast. Well, and, and I agree with everything um, that Gaurav said that vegetarianism in India, by and large, is not is not progressive. It's just, it's um, it's based in notions of ritual purity and uh, uh, handling meat and animals has always been seen as ritually impure, which is why vegetarianism is usually associated with the upper um, with the dominant castes. Um, so, so yes, it's, it's a caste based, um, ritual purity thing. That's what vegetarianism is in India. So yeah, I mean, you can, you can be vegan or vegetarian in India and still acknowledge that vegetarianism is not a progressive thing in India. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to do that. And so do, what do you think of the term non-veg? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess it, it makes sense that when when you see vegetarianism as sort of the normal, the virtuous, um, the pure, then you would want to say, "Oh, this <coughs> is non-vegetarian." So you know you can you know the impure places to avoid. Um, so that's just you know, yeah to avoid. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's that's literally what it is. Um, that's how that's how these people see these things. It's not um, just out of an ethical concern for animals, right? It's a it's about avoiding impure spaces um, for the upper castes. So yeah, that's really the basis of, of the label non-vegetarian, um, which which also explains why you don't really see that anywhere else. Everywhere else, it's it's vegeta- It's when you have something vegetarian that you actually point out that oh, okay, this stuff is vegetarian or vegan. Like yeah, it's to not, me, it's not the default. I think of it as a more uh, inclusive and uh, diverse, you know, something that people are considerate to have an option of. But I never think of it as like the ruling class, the status quo, and uh, associated with purity and superiority. So it's it's interesting. You're you're totally right. Of course, in different contexts, these things mean different things, and that's what's so interesting. On that note, um, we've had a very long and depressing conversation about India. We livened it up a little bit with the biryani debate. <laughs> Anything else you guys want to add? Um, all I would say is to the listeners is anything they can do to kind of support and amplify the protests that are happening, uh, which are, you know, amidst all this um, depressing stuff, which is really the, the only sort of glimmer of hope that we have. Um, so, you know, I think like every little bit of international scrutiny w- will help. So just anything that can amplify these protests, do, do whatever you can. And I, you know, I still have some hope. Um, I think things can move in a better direction. But yeah, let's, you know, all we can do is um, fight back and then see what happens. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. That's a good sentiment to end on. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, Thank you guys both for joining me today and uh, giving us some insight into what's going on in Modi land. Do you think that would be a fun theme park? I'm sure my visa will be canceled after this 
<laughs> comes up. <laughs> Do you know that happened? Like, I know if you are still recording, but a guy who used to support Modi five, six years ago, uh, he's, his dad is Pakistani, mom is Indian, and his mom was a journalist who supported Modi. So he was like cautiously optimistic about Modi six years ago. And then a little while ago, he's like, oh, Modi hasn't done that great. And he wrote a Time magazine cover story about it. And his OCI card, which is Overseas Citizen of India card, kind of like an Indian green card, was mm-hmm. cancelled. <gasps> because they're like, oh, you said... They didn't explicitly come out and say it's because you said mean stuff about Modi. They came up with some technicality. But uh-huh. the timeline, the chronology was clear that... He wrote a nasty Time magazine article about him and his Indian citizenship or Indian green card, so-called. Was wow, do you want, do you want yes. me to uh, cut off your last name or something? Oh, no, no. I was kidding. I, I do everything with my full name. So they know about me already. So. Oh, you uh, troublemaker, you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the I coward. The trouble. <laughs> yes, you, you and me both cowards. High five. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, since you brought that up, there's there was also a story of a German um, exchange student in, in an Indian university oh. who who was um, who participated in one of these protests and was immediately asked to leave India. He was basically deported. Um, so so yeah, you, you if you're if you're vulnerable, then you, you you do have to be careful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. think I did see something and, about and, that. So the the new semester is just starting here. Uh, so in the U.S. So. This is featuring prominently because we have to talk about like exchange student agreements and everything. And uh, people who are doing that, because I'm involved with some of that in my university, people are talking about that, that we now need to put India in a different category than it used to be. Because in the past, India was thought of as being similar to, well, not exactly Western Europe, but generally thought of being like a democracy. And now we're like, all right, maybe we have to treat it on par with China. So when a student goes to India, we have to tell them that just remember, it's like you're going to China. Mm. uh, Remember, you don't actually have any individual rights. You're making like a Faustian bargain going to that country and you might be kicked out. And it is because of this German student who was kicked out. And do you think uh, like Modi supporters are feeling that the reputation is going down? They are in denial. So I just just posted a Twitter thread about this a couple of days ago that went semi-viral. So I've gotten a lot of pushback from them saying, no, 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 no. Modi has in- increased the stature of India worldwide. And I'm trying to tell them, no, the data doesn't support that. So That's like my uh, friend was saying about Trump, right? He's doing so well for the country. Oh, it's, I don't know what world you have to live in to think that, but... <laughs> To, yeah, to, to take this in a slightly depressing um, direction again, I'm not sure, honestly, how much it even matters, like the reputation of the country. I mean, just look at what China is doing yeah. right now. Sure. There's international outcry. Everyone's talking about it, but no one's there's what like, what can you do? Yeah, um, they're but just keep putting people in concentration camps and. Like, but you'd think you, that a country that touts itself as a liberal, secular democracy would have some shame. China does not. Yes, but you know, once once the country is in, in the clutches of, of the Hindu nationalists, they don't even want to tout themselves as a liberal democracy, um, secular democracy. So I think after like I think right now they're in yeah. this phase of secular is an insult in India. 
Yes. Yeah. So I think right now they're in this phase of denial, but eventually they're just going to say, well, yeah, that's what we do. We don't care. Um, we don't care what you think, like China. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I Okay, so biryani then. Biryani is good. Yes. <laughs> On that, we can all agree and be united. But I mean, it's a strange, um, it's a strange need to want to end on a positive note when there isn't a positive thing to grasp, right? I, we all have learned that, I guess, or at least I have, that we should try to uplift conversations. But sometimes we don't need to because the situation is 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 so bad that we need to acknowledge it in in all its horribleness in order to do something about it yeah yeah things aren't things aren't looking although i will say so i think i think i'm like among the three of us i'm probably the the least pessimistic because one thing like i have been you know i think is um, that's just your male privilege well yes that there's that um there's (laughs) (laughs) there's also the fact that the sort of um protests are erupting um all over the world right now um i mean it started in like hong kong and there's chile and iran and everywhere Okay, guys, um, it's been it's been wonderful to chat. As always, Gaurav, it, it was so nice to talk to you for the first time. Ravi, it was nice to chat with you again. And um, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me on. Speak, it's going to be positive. <laughs> you think so? We're going to have a third <laughs> conversation about India, and it's going to be all and about... It's going to be all positive. I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, well, on the other side, anytime you want me to bum you out even more, I'm here. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. If I had to plug, I'd just say for people to go on Twitter and search Shaheen Bag, S H A H T E N B A G H. That that is where the women have been sitting for like six, seven weeks continuously, twenty four seven, and protesting this law. And they're just awesome. They're economically vulnerable people, so they're not. They don't come from a place of privilege but they are the they have become a very appropriate face for this protest so amazing muslim women sitting there putting it all on out on the line and i hope they get more recognition and coverage in the world sounds good uh till next time thanks for listening to another episode of polite conversations you can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it making some noise about it or contributing via patreon patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes no ian mangoes also you can follow me on twitter at nice mangoes if you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly patreon one you can do so via paypal nice mangoes.blog at gmail.com remember no ian mangoes if you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest you can email me there too